It's not responding to my poking stick. Poke harder, damn it! I'm poking as hard as I can. I'm sorry, Fry, but I'm afraid Leela is in an irreversible coma. Coma, 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 chameleon! Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this wasn't a terrible episode? I know, it was not a terrible episode. I was pleasantly surprised. Is th- is this just a statement on our lowering standards? Oh, absolutely. This episode definitely benefits from a lowered bar. You know what else I think it benefits from? What? There are really three plot lines in this episode. Mm-hmm. There's what's happening in present day Storybrooke. There's the flashback to the cursed times. And there's the stuff in Neverland. So it doesn't feel like everything's being dragged out because there's three plot lines shoved in there instead of the usual two. Yeah, there was a lot of the last couple of episodes where it just felt like stuff was happening so that there would be stuff on screen. Yeah, and it seemed like it was going so slowly. I know I kind of tend to get impatient, but these episodes were were not helping matters. Some rough stuff. So we are on episode 17 of season 6, Awake. So as a reminder, David and Snow are under a sleeping curse where one of them is asleep at a time, but when they kiss, they switch. Because they only have one heart, and the sleeping curse was put on the heart. Hmm. Which was clever. I know, I thought it was so clever. And Hook is stuck in Neverland because of something, something, Gideon something. Yes. One of Gideon's fantabulous plans to do whatever. Also, the Black Fairy is now in Storybrooke, and apparently she's the biggest bad to ever naughty, so... Yes, she's not just a big bad, she's the big bad. She created the Dark Curse. It's it's not the last season, I know there's a season after this, but this was planned to be the end of the show, so there's a lot of rewriting of the mythology of Once Upon a Time in this season. Yeah, because it always really seemed like Rumple was the one who came up with the Dark Curse. I mean, it was a thing before that. He found out about it from uh, the Blue Fairy, actually. Yes. But, like, this seems like one he specifically crafted. So, we start in Neverland with Hook running away from the the remainder boys, the yeah. leftover boys. Okay, so even though we saw them take all of the Lost Boys out of Neverland, apparently the worst Lost Boys stayed behind, which you think they would have been Pan's favorite and Pan would have brought them over because remember he was in Henry's body and he needed his most loyal servant, which was that kid whose heart he ended up ripping out so he could enact his version of the Dark Curse, but... Yeah, nope, nope. The really evil ones stayed behind. Neat. Yeah. So now they're hunting Hook because they blame him for Pan's death, which is ridiculous. Hook didn't do anything. Yeah, like that was literally all Rumple and Emma, I guess. Emma killed the shadow, which was part of Hook, but let's not get into that. So the the leftover boys have Hook surrounded and are about to take him down when suddenly we have an appearance of the ironic archer, except I guess in this case it's the ironic blow darter. Yes, 
all of the boys immediately do that thing where their hands fly to their uh, necks, and you were like, "Oh, I see what they did there. They were holding the uh, they're holding the darts in their hands." So you know, it looks like they got hit, but they're just really carrying the darts in their hands. Yes, that is the way that that is done. But yes, all of them have been sleep darted. I hope. I guess. I don't know. Is it murdering children if it wasn't sleep blow darting? Well, you know, it's done by what we will later learn is a fairy, so I don't think it even matters if you kill children. That's like what fairies are known for. An ex-fairy. Because, hey, y'all, it's Tiger Lily. Hey, you know what this telling of Peter Pan has that I don't think literally any other filmed telling of Peter Pan has had? Uh, what? An actual Native American woman playing Tiger Lily. Wow. Yes, yes, the actress who plays Tiger Lily is Sarah Tomko, and she is Cherokee, which does make this better? I don't know, I'm white, I don't want to I don't want to make a call on whether that makes Tiger Lily less problematic or not. This Tiger Lily is so divorced from the original Tiger Lily, though, and I do kind of like sort of how they play with this, spoiler for later in this episode, it turns out this incarnation of Tiger Lily is an ex-fairy, and she's got a flower name, which... That makes sense. I was going to say, like, you know, like all fairies, but actually I don't think any fairies do. Why did I think fairies had flower names? I mean, it makes sense that a fairy would have a flower name. So Tiger Lily has knocked out all of the Lost Boys real easily. And uh, Hook's like, oh, cool. Thanks for the rescue. And she's like, uh, kind of jumping the gun a bit on the whole this being a rescue thing. She's like, hi, I know this is the last season, but I'm showing up now as a character on my own with my own motivations, and I'm going to fuck your shit up. She does the arm cross thing that Tiger Lily did in the Disney movie, and it's... Not the greatest thing. I feel like we're not in the best position to talk about this, because I don't know if you know this, but we're both white. But there feels like there's probably some uncomfortable layers here. I mean, she's dressed very stereotypically... But she's not overly sexualized, which I like. Mm-hmm. But it's not great. But then we get into the weird thing where the reason there are Native American people in the Peter Pan story is because they were being portrayed like they were fictional because they were things that little kids play. So they would show up in a land that was created by little kids. Right. Which is its own bucket of horrible uncomfortableness. Yes. And I get why later incarnations of Peter Pan tend to not have these characters in them. I don't think that's the case, though. I mean, the uh, Allison Williams thing just straight up didn't have Native Americans in it. It didn't have a Tiger Lily? It didn't have Rooney Mara playing Tiger Lily? No, that was the Hugh Jackman movie. Oh, okay. Which one Which one are you talking about? Peter Pan Live with Christopher Walken. There was no Tiger... I didn't watch that. There was no Tiger Lily in that one? No, they just cut the Native American bits altogether. Oh. I mean, okay, it's it's a fictional land. It's not... It's not... Great. But I feel like this is one of the areas where there's not going to be a good solution. It's a problematic story. You know what this reminds me of? There was that article about how problematic Mary Poppins was because of the soot that she gets on her face during the Chim Chim Cherie number. Okay. And how it resembles blackface. And I know, later somebody comment. later the guy who wrote that article 
acknowledged that he kind of knew that was nonsense when he said it. But I was seeing other things going around saying, oh no, don't tell me Mary Poppins is problematic. And I'm like, look, I can't remember anything off the top of my head right now, but I guarantee you this British, this old British children's tale has a lot of problematic shit in it. Honest to God, the main thing I remember about the original Mary Poppins movie is it being boring as hell. It took a lot less to entertain people back then. So Tiger Lily captures Hook and then credits. Back in Storybrooke, why is Emma a nun now? Oh, I thought she was dressed like Wednesday Adams. Possibly? It's such a bizarre outfit. It's like this giant one-piece dress with a white collar. It's very not Emma. It's bizarre. It's true. So... Emma's having another case of the savior shakes, which is legit a plot point I thought we forgot. I thought we were done with those, but no, now she's worried about it again, especially because she's learning that last week Henry and Regina discovered that the things Henry has been writing in his book are, in fact, the final chapter. Yes, and they are now approaching the final battle, and this is the thing that's going to resolve everything once and for all. Okay, I mean, we talk about this. That's not how life works. It's only the final battle for us, the viewers, not for the people who are living their lives. Like, other stuff will come up over time. That is the nature of life. Life doesn't stop until it does. But the fact that this is the final battle is giving David the motivation to realize he absolutely needs to break this sleeping curse because... Emma needs her parents behind her for this final battle because they are so very helpful. Yeah, Henry leads Emma off after she gets her case of the savior shakes. So David can talk to Regina about how Emma's losing allies and how she needs to get, and especially now that Hook's gone, she needs to get Mary Margaret out of the coma so Emma will at least have both of her parents in her corner. Which, when has that ever been helpful on this show? Never. But, I mean, Mary Margaret's occasionally been helpful. I guess David's occasionally been helpful. But when it comes to big, bad, final battle face-offs, they're not really who you need in your corner. They They get in the way. We've talked this to death, but they just get in the way. Yeah, they're not useful and they're hostages, so... I guess Mary Margaret was useful in that she's directly responsible for the death of Cora in season two. That's true. Although I would argue that her responsibility for the death is incidental. She put the curse on the heart so that when the heart got shoved back into the body, Cora would die. Mm -hmm. And then Regina shoved the heart back into Cora and Cora was like, oh my God, now that I have my heart back, I realized I need to stop being so evil and be a good mother to you and then died. So much like all that they needed to do with the evil queen was put a heart inside of her chest and be like, now go be well, if not good, at least baseline human. That's go, what they needed to do with Korra. Go be evil somewhere else. Not evil, just baseline human. So David goes over to Mary Margaret and we get this weird highlight flashback thing where it's uh, it's like a lot of cuts of some of their more iconic moments. It sort of feels like they borrowed it from uh, the last episode of Buffy when they did the recap that was literally every scene that had happened in Buffy. No. Oh. 
I was going to say when they discovered what the last sleeping curse was when the evil queen put the curse on their shared heart and they had the moment where David tried to wake up Mary Margaret and we had the smash cut of all of their best moments as a couple. Oh, yeah. Which was, I mean, I'm not complaining. That was a great montage. And I don't like David and Mary Margaret. And I can admit that was a really well done montage. And this is nice, too, but it feels like they just kind of cut a piece of that montage and slapped it to lead into the flashback here. It's almost like they realized that this show has gone completely off the rails and they needed to remind you what this show used to be before they threw you back into the dark curse which is what they're going to do. And they just wanted to be like, hey, remember season one where they were living in Storybrooke and they thought that they were normal people and they didn't know that they were these fairy tale characters who had this epic love? Okay, that's where we are, as the Chiron tells us, in the time of the Dark Curse. Remember Catherine? Oh, Jesus, I almost said who, because no, I did not remember Catherine. (laughs) You know who I do remember, though? Who? Ruby. Yes, We go back to the time of the Dark Curse where everything is vaguely yellow-tinted for some reason. It's the same curse day because, you know, the curse, the same day repeats. Ish, we had a long conversation about this at the time. Is it actually the same day because there are minute changes from day to day? But we're seeing that day, and we see Mary Margaret walking past Granny putting out the sign in front of her diner. When we were getting that day over and over before, it was Ruby putting out the sign. So Granny's putting out the sign and saying that Ruby is too hungover to do it so that we can acknowledge but also ignore the fact that Ruby isn't in this episode. Yeah, which also like, you know. Well, like you said, minute differences. Yeah, it's kind of funny because Mary Margaret's like waving to people and making their days actively worse. She's like, hi, Marco. And Marco drops his screwdriver and's like, what? Look what you made me do, which... He's he's on a ladder when he drops a screwdriver, so so it's not just a matter of bending down and picking it up. He has to get down off the ladder. That's a pain in the ass. Point. So, as we know always happens on these days, Mary Margaret turns the corner and bangs into Regina. And she's like, oh, Madam Mayor, have you been keeping track of that mysterious coma stranger? And Regina's like, oh, yeah, the doctor said that he's gonna, you know totally croak that he's dead as hell and he's got no family so maybe shut up about that bye and then she like turns away from mary margaret and gives this evil smile to the camera you can't honestly still be enjoying that it's been like 10 years so mary margaret walks sadly away when she notices a purple flower poking up out of the cement like this is some sort of first year photography project yeah so she picks that flower and she Brings it to Dick Coma, and she brings it to Coma David's bedside, and some CGI dust flies off of it and hits David, who wakes up. That didn't happen in any of the other days. Nope. And he immediately recognizes her as Snow White, and she's like, "What?" Yeah, he knows everything. He knows. Well, I mean, he knows everything that Prince David knows. This kind of reminds me, he's, he's getting up out of the bed, and he's tearing all the stuff out of, you know, his nose and arm and stuff. And it just reminds me of vague spoilers for Isn't It Romantic? But there's a bit where after she's in the rom-com world, she wakes up in her bed 
Well, she wakes up in rom-com world first, and she's in a hospital, and she's got an IV in, and she just, like, rips it off and nothing happens, like, in movies. And then later, when she wakes up in the real world and she goes to rip it out, it's, like, actually in her skin the way a needle is when you have an IV. And it just squirts blood everywhere. (laughs) Yes, but David is in fairy tale world, not the Enchanted Forest, but the world of Once Upon a Time. So when he pulls out the IV, nothing happens. It it just comes out easily. He's in TV land. So David is trying to explain to Snow White that they are actually fairy tale characters who have been cursed by an evil witch to live in the real world and think that they are real people. And Mary Margaret is not buying it because that's an absurd thing to say. Mary Margaret's like, no, that that's nuts. You're not a fairy tale guy. I'm not a fairy tale girl. We weren't cursed by an evil witch. And he's like, take my hand. I'm stealing from Aladdin now because the original Snow White movie had us interacting, like, barely at all. So take my hand and trust me. So she takes his hand, and apparently there's still some pixie dust from the flower on his hand because it crosses over to Mary Margaret. She instantly knows who he is, and the two of them just, like, jump on each other. Like, they are full-on fucking in the middle of this hospital room. They are eating each other's faces. There's just... Like, it is... It might be the most pornographic kissing we've ever gotten on this show. Everyone needs to get to a 50 uh, 50 meter splash zone. That's disgusting. (laughs) But yeah, we cut from this to Mary Margaret sadly looking at David in his coma in Regina's tomb. Why would they move him there? Because Regina's working on a spell to cure the dark curse. And I guess it's just easier if she doesn't have to bring her kettle up to the loft. Instead, they brought the unconscious people to her. I do like that she and Zelina are working together here. Yeah, it's nice that they gave Zelina something to do that's not evil and reprehensible. That is neat. I also do like the fact that they've got an overflowing cauldron. Like, it is old school cauldron magic. Yeah. And they put the two, they ripped the two halves of the heart out of David and Mary Margaret, and they put them in a mystical colander. Yeah, no, it's like when it's like a deep fat fryer basket, and they like dunk them into the kettle to try to take the curse off of the heart. They're trying to steam the curse out. Yeah, there you go. And then they think they've done it, but when they put the hearts back in, David and Mary Margaret just both get very sick and weak. And it turns out that there is a failsafe in the Evil Queen's curse, which is something you think she would have told Regina when she gave her all the information about the curse after she turned good? You'd think. Anyway, there's a failsafe in the curse, so instead of breaking it, now they've just weakened both hearts, and by the end of the day, David and Mary Margaret are both going to be unconscious forever, and no one loves them, (laughs) so there will be no one to wake them. I I mean, the show doesn't say no one loves them, but it does say there will be no one to wake them. Not to belabor this point, but... We've seen on multiple occasions sleeping curses being broken by maternal parent-child kissing. The dark curse is broken when Emma kisses Henry's forehead. Yeah. It seems like there should be some other answers to this problem. Well, it's funny that you say that because it's true. The show has shown us that there are other ways that true love's kiss can manifest. But instead of just going with that, the show's going to be like, um, hey, it turns out there's this magic dust that is not quite fairy dust. It's pixie dust. It's the stuff that comes from flowers, not the stuff that we force dwarves to mine out of the ground. 
And that is actually, like, true love's kiss distilled. It breaks any curse. Always. When true love's kiss doesn't. It's like the water of Lake Nostos, but in flower form. Ugh, it's just... Yeah, it's more versatile than the water of Lake Nostos. It, it has the power to advance the plot. Yes, and that's accurate. Speaking of dwarves... Yes, back in the flashback, David and Mary Margaret are running through the hospital, and David is acting like... Well, he's acting like a person who's just woken up in the real world and realized that everyone there is a cursed fairy tale person who doesn't know who they are. So he, he runs up to Leroy and he's like, hey, Grumpy, go get your dwarven brothers to help us kick the evil queen's ass. And Leroy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then Mary Margaret, who has lived in this world long enough to know what's going on, even though she now has her memories back, is like, oh, don't mind him. He's a psych patient that got out. And then she pulls David aside to explain to him that you can't just run around screaming things at people who are under a forgetting curse. I mean, you could, but it's not going to do anything. Clearly you can. David wants to know where Emma is. Of course that's what he'd want to know. From his point of view, putting Emma into the wardrobe, getting stabbed, and this moment all happened within, like, five minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. And Mary Margaret's like, I don't know she should be here. Which she shouldn't. Right, you know she's not. You put her in the wardrobe to protect her from this curse. You know she's gone. Uh, As they're talking about this, Regina can be heard in the hallway yelling at a security guard, do you even know what a coma is? And Mary Margaret's like, quick, I'm going to distract her. You need to go to Rumpel's shop and get his help. I think it's weird she calls him Rumpel given their interactions up to this point. it's not david's been in a coma he doesn't know everybody's cursed names i mean like he's the weird goblin person you go to when you need dark magical help giving him a cutesy nickname seems odd oh you mean that it's weird that he called him rumple instead of rumple stiltskin yeah i thought you meant it was weird that he called him rumple instead of mr gold i'm like how would he know his name is mr gold (laughs) yeah everyone's just sick of saying the full name well, maybe, or maybe sh- it's maybe it's a thing like Voldemort where saying the full name could summon him. That is true. The way you summon Rumpelstiltskin is saying his name three times. They should have called Voldemort Valdi. I think the twins do. Mm. Peeves did, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why wasn't Peeves in the movies? He's such an integral part of the books. So much got cut from the movies, you know, fitting a full year into two hours. Or in one case, four. Mm. I'm just really excited for enough time to have passed between the movies and and the present so that we can get, like, a really in-depth HBO miniseries that redoes the Harry Potter books. Or a Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Oh. I mean, they did a really good job with Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah, the Jim Carrey Series of Unfortunate Events movie was way more disappointing than the Harry Potter movies, which are serviceable. But the They're series fine. is incredible. Oh, God, yeah. Now I want Netflix to do a Harry Potter series. So Mary Margaret goes to slow down Regina. She's like, hi, Madam Mayor, what are you doing in the hospital? And Regina's like, where's the coma patient, Mary Margaret? And Mary Margaret's like, I'm just Mary Margaret. I don't know anything. I'm shy and unassuming, and I teach children how to make birdhouses. I teach the birdhouse making class. That's apparently a core part of the storybook curriculum. I I was really into running a school early in this season, but then they totally dropped that plot thread for 
whatever reason. Oh, look, he moved away from making fun of Mary Margaret to making fun of modern day snow. All right, so in the modern day, Snow White is making a video for David for when he wakes up that tells him, hey, guess what? We're totally screwed. We're both going to be knocked unconscious in like an hour and then no one will ever wake us up. The end. Fair. Yeah. We cut from Mary Margaret making that video to Emma and Regina and Selena playing that video for David, who is understandably upset, but he notices something in the video. Oh my god. It's that magical flower that woke them out of the coma that one time. And Regina is understandably confused. Like, she's like, what's with the flowers? And David's like, those are pixie, those are pixie petals. They create pixie dust, which you might remember from being that thing that led you to Robin Hood that one time. Okay, Regina is not understandably confused. It makes no sense that Regina is confused. At the end of this episode, David and Mary Margaret take a potion that allows them to forget the events of the flashback. So it's okay that no one ever mentioned it. But Regina does not. So Regina remembers that this happened. Also, well, you know what? I'm going to bring that up when we get to it. The important point is there are pixie petals growing in storybooks somewhere. And Zelina tells us that they only grow when there's a great evil. So... The Black Fairy is probably already in Storybrooke. I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is just something Zelina knows. Yeah, I mean, she's a witch. She lived in a coven with, like, witches who studied witch stuff. They're like werewolves in the Twilight series. Okay, so I've... I I know you haven't actually read Twilight. See, the werewolves actually only appear, like... The people who have the gene that could possibly make them werewolves, the potential werewolves, only actually get the lycanthropy where they turn into werewolves when there are vampires around. Okay, so wouldn't there be a group of that particular breed of werewolf who were super into just finding vampires to be around so they would have those werewolf powers? Possibly, but I don't think that that could work because they have like such an innate bloodlust for vampires that I think that that would just result in them killing all of the vampires, causing the vampires to go underground and hide, causing the werewolves to not exist anymore, and then that's how the cycle keeps going. Also, then shouldn't the whatever werewolf thing be attached to more nomadic people? I mean... Well, they exist to protect forks, so it doesn't... They don't care about anyone else. Yeah. So vampires can just go anywhere else in the world... And not have to deal with this issue. But this one place in Washington has its own built-in vampire defense. That is correct. You know, you look so confused right now about the internal logic of the Twilight series. And I feel like trying to understand the internal logic of the Twilight series is a losing battle. Also, isn't that going to make Jacob's relationship with uh, Bella and Edward's baby super difficult? Because, like, you know he'll want to kill her all the time because he's he's a werewolf and... oh see he doesn't want to kill her because the thing where he imprints on her is like a more powerful internal force than the thing where he wants to kill vampires all right all right how much of this stuff does bella's dad know oh my god like none of it i think 
Okay, so it's not going to be weird for him when his daughter, who gave birth to a baby who has suddenly turned into an 18-year-old because she was growing super fast. No, no, that's just in the movie. They don't speed age her in the books. Oh, I guess that's good. So, so Renesmee doesn't get to choose who she's with, though, when she grows up. She just has to be with Jacob. None of the werewolf mates do. It's fucked up. So what if she wants something else? Is she going to have to kill Jacob? Like, if she's like, oh, by the way, I'm a lesbian. Well, Stephanie Meyer does do some hand-waving, where it doesn't have to be, like, a sexual romantic relationship. They could just be, like, the best of friends. Okay. I just... That's why it's not creepy that he imprinted on a baby. I... (laughs) I don't. I just... Ugh. So anyway... So the Black Fairy shows up at Gold's shop in the present and is like, Mommy's home. I kind of, I like what the Black Fairy's wearing here. It's this, like, going out cloak with hella bell sleeves. I really love bell sleeves. I know that they're super not something you can actually have in day-to-day life, but... It looks like what a evil fairy would wear to a political fundraising dinner. I also like that she has the sort of Valkyrie wings in her hair. Yeah, I like she has a real bird motif going that none of the other fairies do. So Rumble gets ready to confront his mother, and he is ready. He has a vial of, I have to assume, squid ink in his pocket. Hmm. And he pulls it out, but then the black fairy teleports the dagger into her hand to stop him. All right, I feel like that's not something she should be able to do. That's not kosher. You shouldn't be able to teleport the dagger. That that makes the dagger so much less effective at what it does in the show. No, no, the dagger should be immune from teleportation. Yeah. And the Black Fairy kind of hand waves that by saying, I practically invented dark magic. I like how that practically is there because we know she didn't. We all saw the Dark One season. Yeah, practically is doing a lot of work in that sentence. But she tells Rumple all Darth Vader that she wants him to join her little family and for the three of them to go off and be the evil Barrymores or something. All right, so... Uh, she started with Hades' motivation. She was trapped in the dark fairy realm and she wanted to get out. With a dash of Cora's thing, she wanted Cora slash Regina's motivation, honestly. Like, she wants her own dark curse to punish people and she wants a child to follow in her footsteps. So she's got Hades' motivation, she's got Regina's motivation, and she's got Cora's motivation... And now she's also got the Snow Queen's motivation, where she wants a whole family unit. If this was purposeful, if they were purposefully building a character who was a composite of all the evil who had gone before, that'd be super cool. Instead, it seems more like they just didn't have a solid motivation for what she wants, because she's like, I've got your dagger to stop you from interfering with my plans, but I'm not going to force you to be part of my family unit you need to come to that by yourself, Rumple. Well, to jump to the end of this episode, Tiger Lily has a wand that can banish the Black Fairy to the realm that she was trapped in. That's how she got trapped there in the first place. And 
Hook's shadow delivers it to Emma in this episode, which means the same episode that we learn about the MacGuffin that can defeat the Black Fairy is the episode where the main characters get it. Hey, it's also the Hades thing with the Olympian bolt. Yep, there you go. Which, didn't Rumple like, suck that into himself and internalize it or, like, gain its power? Yeah, it made him more powerful magically. Even though he already has the, like concentrated some of all of the dark ones who came before him yeah but now he also has all of the powers of the olympian gods okay is he not just like galactus at this point yeah how does the black fairy stand any chance against rumple like how is she holding her own here he should just like wave his hand and we should be done here which spoiler alert for how this season ends that's basically how this season ends rumple remembers that he has More power than whoever. You know what would be great? If they were playing up the idea that Rumpel can't do it because he's her son and there's a part of him that still feels like he wants that connection. If they were doing anything with it. Yeah, you know what would be great? If they were doing anything. If she linked her life force to Belle or to Gideon. Oh, see, that would work really well. Which also would have been the solution back in the Peter Pan season. For why he couldn't just kill Peter Pan. Yeah. Seriously, th- just do that. Call us several years ago, Once Upon a Time writing staff. Yes, let us do punch up on these seasons, please. All right, back in the time of the Dark Curse, David goes to Rumple's shop. And basically his goal here is to find out how to get to Emma and also to find out if Rumple knows that they're in a curse. If Rumple is, as the title of this episode says, awake. Well, the thing is, he assumes Rumpel is. He comes in, he's like, yo, Rumpel, I need my, I need your help to help me find my daughter. Can you whip up some of your weird magic, creepy goblin person, you know, magic? And Rumpel's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, Rumpel's like, um, Dr. Hopper is down the street. And David keeps pushing this. He literally picks up a sword from the counter and he's like... Hey, help me find my daughter or I'm going to stab you. And Mr. Gold's like... What a David move, by the way. It is a super David move. And Rumpel's like, uh, you can stab me all you want, but magic isn't real, bro. And then David's like, oh, I guess you're not awake. I guess I have to go find Emma on my own. And then it's like the end of Superman v. Batman. Batman v. Superman. Where he's like, did you say Emma? (laughs) Except that they actually mean the same Emma in this point. Yeah, save Emma. Okay, people smack talk that, but I actually enjoyed it as a plot point. Because I always thought it was weird that Superman and Batman's mom had the same name. That's weird. It's a common name. At the time. Yes. But in this case, they are talking about... The same Emma. And it triggers something in Rumpel. Well, Rumpel, from his point of view at this point in the curse, he knows... That he put a fail-safe in the curse. By the way, can we just... Let's just mark that, okay? Okay. Rumple put a fail-safe in the curse. Yes, that's why he needed Emma's name. Right. And also he collected pieces from David and Mary Margaret so that their true love would be inside of the curse. Mm-hmm. So Rumple knows that at some point 
Emma is going to come to Storybrooke and break the curse. So when David shows up and is like, I'm looking for my daughter, Rumpel thinks, oh, okay, we're at that point in the story. I guess I should help this stupid oaf get his daughter here so that she can break the curse. And then he tells him about the pixie flowers so that we know how David got filled in on pixie flowers. Hmm. Apparently, he can use the pixie flowers to find Emma, bring Emma to the town, and break the curse. Back in the present, Emma is still having her savior shaky hands, which I really thought we got over when she defeated Gideon. Yeah, I thought when she confronted Gideon, she realized that she wasn't afraid to die, and she was ready to be the savior, and she wasn't going to be all shaky anymore, but I don't know. I guess now that she's faced with actual death yet again, it's back. How is this different than any other time? I mean, I know it's the last battle, apparently, but I don't know. You had that immutable vision of your death, which you very the hell muted, so. <laughs> right. So David's like, so it looks like me and Mary Margaret might be entering a more permanent stage of our coma, but we're always going to be here in spirit. And Emma's like, what really matters is that I know that I have you behind me, metaphorically, not literally, because you're no help, literally. Back in Neverland, Hook wakes up in Tiger Lily's... Camp? Yeah, her safety cave. Sure. Hook tells her that he needs to get back to his world to save a person. And Tiger Lily says she doesn't really care. She captured him to use him some way to get to another realm because she has this magic wand that she has to give to someone who can use it to stop something. They are not being liberal with the information here. They are really not. And she's like, I know you have a ship and that you can leave Neverland, which he could leave Neverland because Peter Pan let him leave Neverland, except I guess the last time. But why is she stuck in Neverland? I I don't know, but it doesn't matter because we get our Emma moment again where... Tiger Lily's like, well, I need to leave here so I can save the savior. And and Hook is like, wait, the savior? That's who I'm trying to save. Okay, so he said at the beginning of the conversation, he's like, I need to get back to the woman I love. And she's like, oh, that that's a tall tale coming from you. How could you love anyone? And that's less important than my thing, which is needing to save the savior. And he's like, oh, the savior's the woman I love. Oh, my God, what a small world it is. But that's what he would have said no matter what point. But her not believing that he is capable of love is weird, considering his entire motivation in this take on Hook is revenge for the woman he loved. Yeah, which he's super upfront about that. You like look at him cross eyed and he'll go, oh, I had a wife, but then she died because of Rumpelstiltskin. No, no. She died because of the crocodile. Yes, now I'm going to skin me a crocodile in your... But Hook is like, wait, I'll prove to you that the woman I love is also the savior. Look at this wedding ring I was going to give her. And Tiger Lily looks at it and she's like, oh my god, a random wedding ring? It must be true. You must actually be in love with the savior. I'm going to help you get back to her so you can deliver this dagger because coincidentally our goals align here. I mean, it's like, Hook is telling the truth, but Tiger Lily has literally zero reason to believe that. Yeah, like, this should seem like a real massive coincidence from her point of view. But she's going to take him to Peter Pan's camp so he can steal some magic even though it is filled with, like, 40 remainder boys that they have to kill. 
Yes, magic that will allow them to get the dagger to the savior. In the flashback, Mary Margaret and Regina and Dr. Hopper and Pongo are searching the woods for John Doe. And Regina's like, okay, well, he's obviously not here, so let's go back into town. And Mary Margaret, who's trying to stall Regina, is like, no, no, he's he's probably still in these woods. And then Regina realizes that Mary Margaret is trying to stall her and is like, you're right. Dr. Hopper, go look in the mines. And then as soon as he's gone, Regina's like, hey, Snow White, I have these mines rigged to blow up. If you're really Snow White, say it or else I'm going to blow up these mines. And Snow's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Mary Margaret. I like birds and I'm not- Hot chocolate with cinnamon. And living alone in my loft and going on terrible dates with Dr. Whale. I'm sorry, I would be suspicious of her by the fact that she's super underreacting to the fact that Regina's like, I've got a bomb and I'm going to blow up the town's only therapist unless you admit that you're Snow White. Like, I don't know how I would handle that situation personally, but I feel like she is underreacting. That is a true statement. The correct reaction to that is not to be like, no, no, it's, it's, it's real. I'm really Mary Margaret. The correct response to that is to freak the fuck out because the mayor has gone crazy. Oh my god, why did you bring the mine to explode? Why did you do that? And why are you constantly carrying around a trigger that will blow up the mine? Okay, now, 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 now Regina wasn't carrying around the trigger that would blow up the mine. They're just near where it is permanently stationed. Which, by the way, is its own problem, because it's just sitting here in the middle of the woods with no fail-safe. I mean, I'd be like, who designed this town? Oh, God. But luckily for Mary Margaret slash Snow, the rest of the search party comes up. And Marco is like, oh, be careful, Madam Mayor. You are about to accidentally blow up the mine. And she's like, "Mm hmm. Honestly, Marco is underreacting, too. Is Marco awake? The curse is just less active on people who don't give a shit. I guess. So back in the present, Emma and Mary Margaret come across the field of flowers, and it is a whole fucking field. And Emma's like, oh shoot, if these flowers grow in the presence of evil, I guess we have a big fucking evil to deal with. Yeah, she's like, oh, I think, like, we already seemed like we thought the Black Fairy was in town, but I guess this is definite proof that the black fairy is in town and that she's way more powerful than we thought she was i guess maybe and then the black fairy dramatically teleports in and says i was hoping to make a dramatic entrance but i guess now you know i'm here which i mean she's still drama she's all drama all the time and then she tells emma we were always destined to have this fight because i created the dark curse and you were the person who was born to break it. Uh, I want to pick up that thread from before. Emma was not born to break the curse. It is only because Rumpel slipped in the David and Mary Margaret true love when he was crafting the curse that Emma is able to break it. There's not some destiny to this. Yeah, I mean, Regina has broken a dark curse over the course of this show. Each dark curse specifically has been broken by someone else. I guess Regina was the first one to successfully cast the dark curse? Right, that's true. But it's 
it's not like the dark curse as created by the Black Fairy was destined to be broken by Emma. Yeah, like Emma had to be built into the curse by a third party. Who, by the way, was the Black Fairy's son. If anything, the Black Fairy was undone by her own cruelty to her own son. So, basically... Every character on this show. Oh, I was going to say foreshadowing for the end of the season, but... Mm. Yeah. So, she burns down the field of flowers with a wave of her hand. Actually, she does not. Hmm? She orders Gideon to do so. Yeah. And he does. Yeah. So, all of the flowers are gone, and then she turns to Mary Margaret, and she's like, it's good that you're going to be in a coma, because no mother deserves to watch their child die. And That's a really fucked up line delivered in a really cheesy manner. Yeah, and Mary Margaret loses the arrow she's had pulled the entire conversation. Her arm must be so tired. I Honestly, don't... Mary Margaret must have the strongest arms because she just stands there with a bow drawn and doesn't fire all the time. Yeah, point. Yeah, she should be like shredded. But uh, she should have done that earlier because the Black Fury, you know, teleports out. You should have done that before the field got burned down. Oh, yeah. I was going to say she wouldn't have hit her, but yeah, she would have teleported away before she burned down the field. Whatever. In Neverland, Tiger Lily and Hook are watching the remainder boys celebrate and sharing a touch of backstory. Yes. Uh, Hook wants to know how she came to find out about this one particular piece of magic Pan has and how she knows how to work it. And she's like, I was a fairy once. And I used to be close to the Black Fairy long ago at school. Nice. Good Wicked reference. Anyway, she says she should have stopped the Black Fairy from becoming evil, but she didn't. So now she's trying to do it now. Like, she apparently gave up her fairyhood and fled here for... Reasons. For reasons, Max. To punish herself? I don't know. Is is this a Faith situation where Faith went to jail for the bad thing she did, even though that wouldn't make up for it in any way? Maybe she needed to come here to find the wand. Hmm. Well, yeah, maybe. Let's assume that because everything else is stupid. I do kind of like the idea that Peter Pan was like, okay, so I've merged with this mystical otherworldly force and become a child god ruling over this reality I've created for myself. But in case my ex-wife shows up, I need to create something I can use to stab her to death. You know, all this talk about how interrelated everyone on this show is, I had totally forgotten that Peter Pan's ex-wife was the Black Fairy. Of course that's why the wand is in Neverland. This show, I swear to God. So... Tiger Lily fires an arrow at the Lost Boys, and they see her, and she leads them off on a chase so that Hook can go into the camp and do the magic thing at the magic rock where he cuts off his shadow. Now- Cutting off your shadow. Cutting off your shadow. So this is something we've seen two characters do, Rumpel and Peter Pan, and we saw Peter- tearing off other people's shadows but it killed them when he did that i guess if you do it to yourself it's different yes apparently you can remove your own shadow peacefully and then it can run around and do your bidding but if you tear away someone else's shadow it kills them and also peter pan was merged with an evil shadow creature who is not the same thing as cutting off your shadow right okay 
Oh, and that evil shadow creature that Peter Pan was merged with was voiced by Marilyn Manson. That's true. And awesome. So Hook cuts off his shadow and is like, take me to Emma. Take me back to Storybrooke. And the shadow flies away and tries to, but then the Lost Boys come back and basically the shadow is flying and Hook is hanging on to its leg, but the Lost Boys are pulling him down like a freaking horror movie. And... Tiger Lily shows up and tosses the wand to the shadow and is like, get the wand to Emma, and then... And the shadow's like, thumbs up, and flies off. <laughs> right, as Hook is pulled back down to Neverland to presumably be, like, beaten to death by the Lost Boys. Well, those teenagers are wailing on him. Oh, it's fucked up. No doubt. I like that it looks like they got, like, actual teenagers, but, like, teenagers who are old enough to work, but since they're actual teenagers and not 20-year-olds, they look like they're younger. Because TV trains us to think that people in high school... Look like they're in their 30s? Yeah. Yeah. We've been watching Riverdale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've seen that image floating around where someone found pictures of uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Josh Hutcherson when they were the actual ages that their characters are supposed to be in the Hunger Games. And you're like, yeah, they're babies. I haven't seen that actual one, but I've seen pictures going around the internet of actors playing high schoolers versus what that actor actually looked like in high school yeah. yeah those are pretty great so back in the flashback david is hiding out somewhere i'm not sure where it is that he's hiding out well mary margaret says there's a cabin uh in the woods this is the cabin we saw them in in the episode where mary margaret was trying to get that bird back with its flock in season one. Oh, geez i'd forgotten all about that okay remember it's the one where she falls off a cliff and david has to save her oh i remember now i just had forgotten i think it's also where they start their affair god remember season one <laughs> vaguely so david tells mary margaret that rumple told him about this flower pixies they're going to use the dust to get Emma. But then Rumple shows up and tells them, wait, I just found out it's only been 10 years. We are not yet at the point in the story where Emma is supposed to show up and become the savior. So I got a little snippet of curse juice that I'm going to need you guys to sip on while we wait the next 18 years for her to reach the proper boiling point to break the curse. Right. If she comes to the town now, she'll just be a 10-year-old and won't break the curse, and then everyone in the town is going to be SOL. Well, she that's the weird thing. She needs to have a kid. Yeah. Well, Rumple doesn't know how she's going to break the curse, so it's fine that he says that the time is not right. He knows what the timing is, but not the way it's going to happen. Yeah, he has that, like weird future vision where he knows enough of the future to make the plot go forward but not really the details right anyway david says it's easy for you to say that we want to wait around for 18 years you don't have a kid out there alone waiting for you and rumple's like fuck you you don't know my life rumple's like jesus christ dude it's weird how everyone i encounter seems to happenstance upon referencing my backstory right so then David remembers that here in the world without magic, Rumpelstiltskin's just a guy. And so they're like, um, how about no? We're just going to take off. Yeah, there's like our daughter's out there and she needs us. Fuck the town. We're going to go save her. But Rumpel gives the potion to Mary Margaret, trusting, trusting in her contrariness to save the day. Yeah, he's like, I know that you're against me now because I'm here. But soon it's just going to be you and David. And let's see what you do then. 
Yeah, basically. Good call, Rumple. In the present, Emma has to comfort Mary Margaret about how it's not her fault that she's not going to be there at the final battle and whatever, everything's fine. But then she sees in the field that has been vanquished of pixie flowers, a single pixie flower growing in the snow. And Snow's like, how did it survive? And Emma says, because it had to, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't think there's like a deeper thing there, like the flower is a metaphor for Emma, but at the same time, the flower is kind of a metaphor for Emma. It is. It is interesting and beautiful, but the reality is the reason the flower survived is because Gideon is resisting the Black Fairy's control. Huh. He left one, That's why it's important. Gideon's the one who burned the field. He left one alive. Ah, okay. So they have one flower. It's not going to be enough to do everything they want it to do because it can break curses, which means it can stop the curse that's stopping Hook from not being able to come back to Storybrooke. Or it can wake up David and Mary Margaret. Yeah, when they had a whole field of them, they could do a bunch of stuff. But now they only have one. Right. So now they have to choose. This is a real tough decision. Do you want Hook back or David and Mary Margaret? It is tough because Hook is awful and he tried to send her entire family to hell. But on the other hand, David and Mary Margaret are both actually, well, not so much David. Mary Margaret has been an interesting, competent character without David the past few episodes. Yeah, once David's back, that's all going away. Yeah, so what's going on here? Yeah. In the flashback, David and Mary Margaret are also using the pixie flower, and Mary Margaret's like, how does this work? And David's like, I don't know, it's magic, just throw the dust in the air and think of Emma, which they do. And it creates the magic door thing, which the sorcerer's apprentice used to get around, but I guess it's also something you can make with pixie dust. Yeah, they open the door, and there's like the wormhole from Stargate, except gold instead of blue. Mm. And when they put their hand to it and presumably think of Emma... It clears, and they see Emma in her bedroom, reading a book, listening to music on her Walkman. Mm. This is 10-year-old Emma, so it's uh, pre, uh, pre-Ice pre Queen. Yes, pre-Ice Queen Emma. You know, it's pretty convenient that the moment they happened to look in on Emma was a peaceful moment, where she was just sitting, reading a book, listening to music, and generally probably having a, a happy moment. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't seem actively distressed. She's not in one of her homeless phases. If they had seen her at one of her worst moments, what happens next would definitely not be what happens. Yeah, if they caught her back when she was living on the streets and August had to convince her to go back into foster care, if they had seen her under that bridge, then yeah, no, you would be shitty to not go save your kid in that case. But instead, Mary Margaret, true to her contrary nature, tells David that they cannot save Emma because they're heroes and also rulers. She doesn't say that they're rulers, but they are. They have to put the rest of the town first and wait and know that Emma will come back. It's kind of funny. She's like, Regina was right back at the mines. She said that if I was Snow White, I would do anything to stop her from blowing up Archie. But if I was Mary Margaret, I would let her blow up Archie because Mary Margaret doesn't value human life. No, it's because Mary Margaret puts her own self-interest above other people and Snow would never do that. I'm like, does Regina know Snow? Right. But Snow is being good here. Snow tells David they have to trust that Emma will grow up well and strong without them, which, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she will. And that then she will come save them. Which, we're giving Mary Margaret a lot of shit here, but 
honestly, this is a really good moment for Mary Margaret, and this encapsulates a lot of what the character should be. She is sort of the platonic ideal of what a royal should be, sacrificing self for the people. I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying. My only issue with this is that it's based on the premise that Rumpel's plan for breaking the curse is both good and the only way to do it. Hmm. And you have to accept that premise in order to accept this sacrifice. And, yes. Yeah. And honest to God, you're right. She could probably just go into the real world. They could go into the real world, rescue Emma, raise her until she's 28, then head back into Storybrooke, Maine. And, you know. Yeah. Although, would they be able to get back there? Um, Maybe, maybe not. The curse says that Emma is going to find it when she's 28, so I would think, yes, they would get back there. No matter the circumstances. I believe that to be true. If Henry wouldn't exist, though. That's a shame. Yeah. And they would have to straight up kill Regina. Yeah, that would be bad, too. So I guess it's good that things went down the way they did. I mean, good for us. Yeah. So David and Mary Margaret share one last kiss and then drink the forgetting potion. And... That's when everyone in town shows up and they're like, Mary Margaret, you found the coma guy. And she's like, I guess. And David's just lying on the ground. It, I feel like there are more questions that need to be answered here. Okay, so from the point of view of the rest of the town, so many questions that need answers. And also from the point of view of Regina, I mean, wouldn't you be wondering why David and Mary Margaret just randomly decided to voluntarily go back under your curse? I feel, yeah, I feel like Regina should have a lot of follow-up questions here. Unfortunately, there's no one to give her answers. Rumple also takes the forgetting potion. So is she just like, remember that weird thing that happened 10 years into the curse? Regina's walking around the only one with this memory. Wait, but the rest of the town must remember that the coma guy randomly woke up. Maybe they forgot when the day reset? Maybe. I just feel, yeah, they must have. I was going to say, I feel like that would have come up 18 years later when the same thing happened. But no, then there would have been a lot of questions about why no one had aged in 18 years. Mm. You know, the mechanics of the Dark Curse really need to be explored further. Well, they've, they've got like three episodes left before the reboot season. Back in the present, Regina takes the flower petals and makes a potion with them, which seems to just involve catching all of the powder in a vial. Mm. So they can use this to wake up David and Mary Margaret. She tells them there's barely enough to get it done. There's enough pixie dust to do one thing. Yes. And as they're about to use it to break the curse, Hook's shadow flies in. And I like how Henry immediately, Henry's like, that's not the Black Fairy. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, that would be the assumption if something dark flew in through the window. Yeah, they're like, oh no, the Black Fairy. And Henry's like, nope, look, it's got its hook. It's hook shadow. It's got, a sh it's got a little hook. And also a real hook hanging from its foot. So the shadow hands Emma the wand. And then obviously the hook falls to the ground. And Emma's like, oh shit, hook is in some serious trouble. Where is he? And the shadow has sad eyes. And it kind of touches her sadly. These CGI models were not built for emoting. No, they were not. But, you know, Emma realizes that she has to save Hook, I guess. Yeah. And Regina's like, don't worry, we'll find him. We're on the job. Whatever. Just another one of your boyfriends getting lost. We'll take care of it. We went to hell to save him. We'll figure this one out. 
So the shadow disappears, and Emma's like, it's hopeless, utterly, utterly hopeless. And Snow's like, or is it? Right, she's contrary, even in the face of hopelessness. She tells Emma about all the stuff we saw in the flashback, so I guess apparently when the curse was broken, she and David also remembered that time 18 years ago, but neither of them ever mentioned it. Okay. So Mary Margaret says that pixie dust is primarily used to reunite loved ones. That actually tracks with what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, hell, even way back in the original Tinkerbell storyline. Right, exactly. It brought it, it brought Regina to her true love. And Snow's like, when I think about all of the stuff that I've been through in my life, the only reason I got through it was because I had a dude to bone me when I got sad. And I'm your mom and I love you, but I can't bone you when you get sad, Emma. Gross. Yeah, so... I'll just be in a coma, wasting away with your father while you have, you go have fun sex with your pirate. I'll just be wasting away here. Okay, you say that like she's martyring herself, but after she hands over the vial to Emma, she like curls up and like puts her hands in prayer position under her head. And it's seriously like, Emma, how about you take this one and I just take a little nap? (laughs) Emma, I'm so tired of being on the show, of being on the show. I'm not showing up for the reboot season. So back in Neverland, Hook is all tied to a stake and about to be burned by the Lost Boys. Fair. Uh, And Tiger Lily is also tied up. Unclear what's going to happen to her, but it's not good. So Tiger Lily's like, sorry that that didn't work out for anyone. But at least Emma got the wand And then the door appears and Emma bursts through. I love how she doesn't use magic at all. She just shoves a couple of teenagers, grabs Hook, and pulls him through the door. Way to not have Tiger Lily's back. Right? Although there is like an ADR voice of a lost boy saying, where's Tiger Lily? She got away. Just so that we, the audience, don't feel bad about it. So that we know Tiger Lily's okay. But still, dick move. Dick move on Hook's part. Emma doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. So, back in the charming loft, Hook basically debriefs her on everything. Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry, I murdered your grandfather, freaked out, got trapped in a sub, got sent on an adventure with Aladdin and Jasmine, who were fine and had their happy ending, by the way, and then got trapped in Neverland, where I met Tiger Lily, who gave me a dagger that I could uh, give you that would kill the Black Fairy, and also... Will you marry me? And also, will you marry me properly here in front of your coma parents? And your son and your lesbian ex-life partner. Yep, that's what happens. Anyway, Emma says yes, because that's the type of show this is. Yes, he's like, I know that you're probably going to die real soon. And hell, we all, we're all we all probably going to die real soon. But remember at the end of season five, when Xander proposed to Anya, and she's like, you're not just doing this because we're about to die. And he's like, no. And then they didn't die, and they ended up not doing anything with that for a really long time. Yeah, but remember how well that turned out? Yeah. 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 Poor Anya. I really feel for her. Yeah, she got real screwed over in the last part of the show. Although it made sense that she couldn't go back to being a vengeance demon. Well, yeah. She'd gotten too close to humanity. Yeah. So then Hook notices that David and Mary Margaret are unconscious in the room where he just proposed to his girlfriend. And she's like, yeah, I had to choose between saving you and saving them. So you better be worth it. You better you better pull your weight when we face off with the Black Fairy. You better not try to send my entire family to hell again. I know, I know, but I, it's just, it's beyond me. But then Regina comes up with a plan. 
Okay. So, the plan is basically, she gathers all of the townsfolk, aka, you know, Granny, a couple of the dwarves, and a whole bunch of extras, into her office, and she's going to dilute the curse among a bunch of hearts. Yeah, so everybody's just going to take a tiny bit of the sleeping curse, and then, I don't know, I guess everyone needs nine hours a night instead of eight. Fair. And then David and Mary Margaret will wake up. And Grumpy's like, I like sleeping. Sure. Hook's the one who takes the first shot. This is, uh, so there's something I've started doing in Once Upon a Time and honestly a bunch of other shows. Keep your eye on the extras. You get a lot of good awkward extra acting. It's sort of fun because it's going around the room and we haven't seen any of these people before. So I just want to point this out. Hook takes the first shot of the diluting potion before anyone else agrees to do this. That would have been hilarious if everyone else had been like, eh, no well, thank you. Like, obviously everyone else in the room decides to take shots of the diluting potion, but nobody actually agreed to this before they all started drinking. Also, I really like Granny's all-white outfit here. It's interesting that... um Although, as you say, there are a lot of extras we've never heard of in the room. It's only named characters that we already know who we actually see taking sips. It is. There's this woman who's sort of shifting her weight uncomfortably in the background, who's my MVP extra here. She's very conspicuously behind Granny, and she very much looks like she does not want to be there. My MVP extra is the guy who's wearing like a polo shirt and a khaki jacket, but also has a tiny, closely cut mohawk. I... God, I wish we got more with the, just the people of Storybrooke. Yeah, that would be good if, you know, the town was a character. Mm. So David and Mary Margaret wake up and everyone's dead. Yeah, David and Mary Margaret wake up and they're just surrounded by sleeping people. I will note that everybody is passed out on the floor except for Regina, who managed to make it to her office chair before she dozed off sexily. Uh good for her it's like when dr whale got hit with the knockout hand wave of death and And he managed to stumble over to the couch yeah Yeah, that was great so everyone does wake up everything's fine the curse is broken hook's back in storybrook and uh hook goes over to david and he's like sorry about that time i killed your dad and david's like you know what i was being a giant wiener about that it's cool yep which okay fair i guess and mary mark is like regina you did it and uh, regina's like no mary margaret you did it. You inspired all of these people, and inspiration is hope, and hope is power, and power is love, and rage leads to the dark side, so we're going to kick all of their asses because you can't fight a community or something. Basically. We're going to get a lot more of these rambly kind of speeches. This one's at least pretty short. Yes. Out of Main Street, the Black Fairy is just standing there, Waiting for the, waiting for the final battle. Like, it's not time for the final battle yet, but she has nothing else to do. I like that she's added kind of a shawl thing to her. Yeah, she's got like a fringe shawl now. She's just all black and fringy and sparkly. I'm kind of here for it. Rumpel shows up and he says that he knows that the Black Fairy needs to get her on his side voluntarily because he knows that Gideon's heart is being controlled by her because of Gideon leaving that one pixie flower alive. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Black Fairy's like, I didn't use his heart, but he wouldn't disobey me like that. Rumble says, yes, he would, because he has his mother in him. His real mother. Belle is who I mean. Not you, mother. Grandmama mama. 
Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, also, uh, she gave him back the dagger as a show of trust or whatever. And he was like, remember, real family always wins. And she's like, but I'm your mom. We're, we're a real family, too. And he's like, real family always wins, mom. Rumble and the Black Fairy talk about how this fight might bring down the whole town, just so that we understand that the stakes are. Because, of course, it is the end of the season, the end of the series. So, I mean, they could destroy Storybrooke. This was a really, this was a good episode to watch. I feel like we didn't portray that because it was a hard episode to talk about. Here's the thing with this episode. We are on episode 17, and it really felt like they were getting people into place for the final battle. A real table-setting episode, as they say. They will not fight the Black Fairy until episode 21. Although the musical episode is episode 20. Oh my god, I can't wait for the musical episode. So close. So I guess that's it for this week. Alright, so recommendations. I have one which, again, I feel like all of mine are tangential at best. Which I think says something mostly about how you feel about these episodes, but go ahead. Uh, But my pick is the movie Dark City. Oh, that's a great movie. It is a great movie, and it's also a really interesting take on how the dark curse could have gone down. I really don't want to describe it that much because I feel like a lot of the fun is probably the wrong word for Dark City, but a lot of what makes it interesting is sort of figuring out what's going on as the main character does. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen Dark City, you know what the connection is, and if you haven't, you should watch it. It's a great movie. So, um, I guess that does it for this week. Yeah, there's not really much of a fashion corner. I liked Granny's all-white ensemble, which seemed like a very different fashion choice for her. Yeah, it did. Um, it was less, it was less of the fiberwork stuff she usually wears. Yeah. But other than that, no one really had anything significant. All right. Well, so next week we'll talk about episode 18, where bluebirds fly. Welcome to Storybook is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Flower, clean and glow. Let your power shine. Make the clock reverse. Bring back what once was mine. Heal what has been hurt. Change the fate's design Save what has been lost